0: Good morning.
1: Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices.
0: Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Beyond
2: the Valley. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Elizabeth Schulze in London.
3: And I'm Arjun Kappal over in Guangzhou, China.
2: So today we're going to be talking about facial recognition technology. This is a broad umbrella term, so let's try to break it down a little bit here. You might have an iPhone and use its Face ID feature. That's facial recognition. Not exactly what we're going to be talking about. What we're focusing on is the rise of such technology in public settings. So cameras will be able to scan faces, and AI-powered software in the background is able to analyze them. This technology is beginning to be explored by some governments, particularly in the public security setting, for example, to catch criminals. Now, the danger, and what we'll be talking about in this episode, is how far we can go in terms of building up a surveillance state and all of the privacy and human rights issues that come along with that. Arjun, you live in China, which is a country taking the lead in this technology, so Give us a sense of what's going on. You're absolutely
3: right here, Elizabeth. China's been building a surveillance network consisting of millions of cameras with the software provided by some of the country's most valuable tech firms. And this technology has been able to roll out without much backlash from consumers. And it's done so quickly. Now, let me add some context here as well. Uh, China's discussions around using technology to control and manage society can be traced back to the 1980s and even the 1970s. But it was really in 2000 with the launch of something they called the Golden Shield Project that China's surveillance drive really kicked off. The aim was to create a sort of centralized database system with every citizen's records that can be accessed by security forces around the country. So what you're seeing now is an extension of that and that being put into practice. Now I had the chance to catch up with Maya Wang, a senior researcher on China at Human Rights Watch, who's based out of Hong Kong. She's done a lot of work on China's surveillance technology and I asked her how it has been able to spread so quickly across the country.
1: There are a number of biometrics that the government collects and faces are just one type of them. But faces have the advantage in the eyes of the authorities. Being when you walk out is really difficult for you to hide your your face um, from the camera. So it has the advantage of the government being able to covertly collect your whereabouts very easily. So it was considered a very convenient way of tracking movements. And on, on top of that, it has also uh, a number of private facial recognition companies that have developed um, these um, technologies uh, to a high level of accuracy, at least according to their own literature. The police enter into contracts with these companies, and uh, they... And then, of course, China, uh, along the way, had blanketed uh, cities with millions of um, surveillance cameras everywhere. So, is is there was already an existing infrastructure of surveillance cameras in public places, and then you coupled that with higher, uh, highly accurate um, uh, cameras equipped with facial recognition capabilities, um, then uh, it becomes a very convenient network of surveillance.
2: So Arjun, there's been a view in the past that Chinese consumers kind of don't care about privacy and that that's one of the reasons why this technology has been able to spread. How true is that still?
3: I wouldn't say they don't care, but they're certainly more open to it. One day I actually woke up and went to the reception of my apartment block and they'd installed these barriers which require a facial scan to get past. They also still offer the option to use a card to get past them, but the speed at which it was installed and actually the lack of complaints from the residents showed that people are getting comfortable with it. However, there has been some backlash in China against certain uses of, uh, of this technology. There's this app called Zao, it's a Chinese face swapping app and it allows people to sort of superimpose their face on another person's. What was interesting in this instance is that you saw state media and the government come out against it, highlighting concerns over privacy and the spread of disinformation. Important to highlight here that it was state media and the government in China that came out against Zao. That speaks to a very important point, the overall control of Beijing around this technology. In this conversation, it's really important to provide the context for how things work in China when it comes to their laws and privacy. There are laws, and we've spoken about this before, but there are laws that appear to compel companies to hand over data to the Chinese government if asked to do so. So within that context, the government may talk about privacy worries, but it's hard to have ultimate privacy in China. To give us a good insight into this, I caught up with Samantha Hoffman. She is a fellow at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute Cyber Center based out of Australia. She's done a lot of work on China's technology companies and facial recognition, and she lays out what's at play here when it comes to China's privacy picture.
4: As people in general become more aware of the privacy risks associated with new technologies uh, concern is growing um, and that's that's happening in China and that's happening globally. Um, I think that the difference is, is you'll see the Chinese Communist Party issuing um, regulations related to privacy, but unfortunately, privacy stops where the party's power begins. And so although there might be some efforts to control what individual companies uh, can do or how they can share data between each other, that doesn't stop the party uh, from inserting its power wherever it wants to, whenever it wants to. So privacy won't genuinely be protected when there is really no rule of law in China.
3: But it's easy to think about China's facial recognition as a contained issue, one that won't be exported. However, I would say, that would be the wrong way of thinking about it. China's technological influence is spreading, and there is a sense that what is going on in China right now could be replicated elsewhere. I asked Samantha Hoffman what the global implications could be as China pushes ahead with the surveillance state.
4: So there, there are um, obviously many, many other authoritarian regimes that are that are looking to use similar technologies um, as to what the CCP is, is using for a similar intent. Um, but also in in liberal democracies, there are many um, uh, government entities and, and police departments that are also rolling out uh, surveillance without a very serious conversation with the general public about what the implications are. And I think as people begin to realize the implications, they'll become increasingly uncomfortable. Um, but then there's also the issue of data collection in general. You know, many companies are collecting bulk data and processing it, for um, purposes like raising, raising their, in, uh, their a- income and um, for commercial outcomes. Uh, there's a difference between what the government uh, and China is doing versus what these companies are doing, but it's a similar tactic. The difference is an in intent, uh, you know, intent to increase profit and intent to expand and protect power are two very different things, of course. Um, but the underlying tactics are similar, and I think that's, uh, that's concerning.
3: And Elizabeth, I think this is where you come in because, of course, facial recognition can create concerns, even when it's not being used by an authoritarian government, for example, in the United Kingdom.
2: No, you're right. Facial recognition has been getting a lot of attention here in the UK just over the past few months. More on that after this quick message. A CNBC signature event. Okay, so back to the whole UK story. One reason why facial recognition is getting a lot of attention here is because of a landmark court ruling last month in the town of Cardiff in South Wales. A man named Ed Bridges became concerned about how the police were using facial recognition technology. And I had a chance to speak with Ed and hear his story.
0: The first time I came across facial recognition technology, uh, I was, uh, I popped out from my office one lunchtime to go and buy a sandwich uh, just before Christmas in 2017. And as I walked down the, the main pedestrian high street in Cardiff, uh, I saw a police van. Um, and it was only once I was within six feet or so of the van that I saw the words facial recognition technology on it. Uh, and by that point, my image and my biometric data would have been captured. Um, several times, and that struck me as being um, uh, an infringement of my privacy. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I I was doing nothing wrong. I was just going about my business, and yet here the police were, in my home city, um, taking my data.
2: So that's the start of Ed's story. He told me a few months later he was participating in a peaceful protest in Cardiff, and he saw those police vans again. He said he just wasn't comfortable with the idea that he had no idea how the police were using this facial recognition technology, and that there hadn't been any discussion about him giving consent to do so and to use it. So he got in touch with a human rights organization called Liberty to see if he could bring a case forward against the police
0: this is something that has been imposed upon the public by South Wales Police. There there has never been any level of public dialogue. There's never been any way for people like me to raise our concerns and, and have those treated seriously, except through bringing this court action. So You know, I see myself as a reluctant campaigner. I would far rather have been able to have a dialogue with South Wales police where they had listened to the civil rights concerns that I and others had raised. But in the end, the only way that we could challenge the use of this technology was through the courts.
2: So, Ed, what was the kind of initial reaction you received when you decided to go forward with this case?
0: Um, I mean, I think the reaction has been been mixed. You know, clearly this is an issue that um, provokes you know, different reactions. There are some people who are very supportive of the concerns that we're raising, and there are others who back the police. And, and, you know, I I understand that. That's Fine, I get that the police have a difficult job to do and um, dwindling budgets, and they see technology as a a tool that they can use to help them. But this is about um, using technology uh, in a way that's proportionate and reasonable.
2: So the court ended up ruling against you. They said the police can legally continue to use automatic facial recognition technology. What was your reaction to that decision?
0: I mean, obviously we were disappointed um, to, to lose the, the judgment, but we will be bringing an appeal. I think there's a few really important points to, to raise in relation to the judgment. I mean, the first point that is that um, although the court didn't find that South Wales Police's use of facial recognition technology was unlawful the court did make some really important points about um, the impact that this technology has on our uh, on our rights and that's really important in, t- in terms of the case that we'll be uh, making at the at the appeal that you know this is about data protection and um, I have more rights over what which emails go into my spam filter than I do over whether the state holds my biometric data and I think that's a really important point to make this isn't something that that only affects criminals this is something that all of us, you know, have our uh, our biometric data that is like a sort of digital fingerprint. And we are, unless we challenge this technology, basically giving the state carte blanche to, to use that data in a way that if it was a private company doing it, I think we'd be horrified.
2: And I think one of the big questions here that remains is how do you balance that privacy versus security? What would you say to that?
0: I think one of my concerns is that if this technology is adopted unquestioningly, then what we will see is um, a further sort of erosion of, of trust by uh, by the public in policing. Uh, and, and just to sort of flesh that out, I mean, one of the uh, criticisms that we make of the technology is that it is particularly bad at recognizing female and non-white faces um, which means that if you know for example you are a young black man in the UK not only are you already um, disproportionately likely to be um, subject to stop and search policies by the police but potentially this technology um, is more likely to, to misrecognize you and you might be asked to account for your whereabouts despite doing nothing wrong and I think it's things like that that can erode public confidence in the police. And so, you know, it is absolutely vital that the police do not roll out this technology wholesale until they are confident and the public are confident that its use will not damage public faith in in the police as an institution.
2: So one important thing about Ed's case here is he doesn't have anything on his record he's necessarily trying to hide. He also doesn't really think of himself as like a privacy martyr. He's just a normal guy, he says, with two kids and a normal job, who got worried about how this technology is developing faster than the law can keep up.
3: Mm, that's really interesting, Elizabeth, because I think it shows how, you know, you got more and more people now um, who are waking up to this reality in certain places and, and understanding some of the implications here. Um, There have also been a couple of other stories about facial recognition technology being used in public spaces in London. How is this playing into the conversation there?
2: Yeah, that's right. The Financial Times published a series of pretty surprising articles that revealed a property developer was using facial recognition cameras in King's Cross Station. Now, that's a huge station in London, and they were tracking tens of thousands of people, according to the story. This definitely got people's attention here.
3: And so what was the response from the public?
2: You know, actually, the UK Data Protection Commissioner launched an investigation after these stories came out. We've talked about the role of kind of data privacy and these regulators in the past on the podcast, Arjun. And in this instance, the UK Data Protection Commissioner took a pretty hard line. She said she was deeply concerned about the growing use of facial recognition technology in public spaces, not only by law enforcement agencies, but also increasingly by the private sector.
3: And did you get a chance to get Ed's views on that?
2: Yeah, I did, Arjun, and he had some thoughts about how this debate over facial recognition is shaping out in the public versus the private space.
0: The issue this comes back to is around consent. Now, every time I unlock my phone, I will have my face scanned. um, And that's OK, because I understand that and I've consented to it. And, uh, you know, I've been able to sort of read the terms and conditions, if you like. But when I'm walking through what is a a public space or a quasi-public space, um, you know, how many of us... uh, have that sort of option to to stop and go. All right, hang on, my face is being scanned. Who's doing this for what purposes? You know, we've all got lives to lead, and I think you know that's why it's important to um, to challenge the use of the technology in the way that we are. Because you know, it's one thing for a private company to use it on a specific product where you agree to terms and conditions, but when it's being used either by the state. Uh, in public places or by private companies in yes yeah, sort of quasi-public spaces, then that becomes a, a lot more problematic um, and, you know, people are, are have much less opportunity to knowingly uh, give their informed consent.
2: Now, one thing Ed mentioned is that people here in the UK are actually pretty accustomed to being monitored by authorities. You know, I was surprised when I moved here, how there are signs everywhere saying you're being filmed by CCTV. And it doesn't really seem to bother a lot of people. But Ed's point is that with facial recognition, there's often no notification, no consent, and really no way to find out what your images are being used for.
3: Yeah, and I think that's a key point, because it's not that surveillance is is necessarily new in any sense, but it's the increasing amount of technology in the form of facial recognition and and other technologies as well that are advancing the surveillance system so quickly. And I know it's a a cliche uh, thing to say, but, you know, to use the phrase Orwellian, but there is certainly something that rings true about that with the increasing use of technology. And I think there's a few things that are likely to happen now. Firstly, I think China will continue to push forward with rolling out this technology, which is only going to get more advanced. And then I think you'll see other countries try to introduce this technology too, but likely face a lot more resistance.
2: Yeah, and the other thing I would add is that you'll likely see some regulators getting more involved in this area, trying to figure out what to do with the rules around it. And one other thing to monitor is the role of tech companies, of course. So how willing or reluctant are they going to be, to be involved in surveillance projects.
3: Yeah, really good points, Elizabeth. Well, that's another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley coming to an end. Uh, what do you think of facial recognition technology? Are you worried or are you welcoming it? Let us know. I'm on Twitter, at Arjun Kapoor,
2: And I'm Esholzi9. And be sure to subscribe to our Beyond the Valley newsletter, where we send you tech news from outside of the valley every day, straight to your inbox.
3: Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.
2: Beyond the Valley.